Today is June the 17th, 2010. Do y'all hear me back there okay? Okay. All right, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, um, confession of sin if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace for giving us this day. Every day is a grace gift. You give us everything we need in order to make it a successful spiritual day. We have the Holy Spirit that is indwelling us. We have the option to have the Holy Spirit filling us, operating on his power. When we fail, we have the rebound technique. We have your word We have the Holy Spirit as our mentor, the grace system of perception, local church, pastor, everything. So we pray that you'll help us to take advantage of all these spiritual assets so that we can grow in grace and knowledge. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I was reading the most recent Berean call, and it's a a good one. Just about all of them are. And it was emphasizing the importance of understanding that we don't get anything from God because of our works. It's all grace. We call it grace orientation. And I started thinking about how that can be distorted. And one way it's distorted is by some of the televangelists. You get on TV and you notice that there are those who say, what you need to do is send in your love gift. And I'm thinking, love gift. If it's a love gift, how come there's a price? And say, send in your love gift, that'll be $19.95. I'm thinking, so a gift is $19.95 now? And the reason that that's it, it's bad enough, but it, what it does is murky the waters with regards to the gospel. Because when you tell people that salvation is a free gift from God, and they're thinking, okay, free gift. Well, I just gave a gift to this ministry, and it cost 1995 You see what I'm talking about? And then when you go to try to explain to people that salvation, in fact, everything from God does not have a price tag on it, it's hard to convey that because they've already started. Well, this, this came into being, I guess, in the last couple of decades. And what they've done is put a price tag on a gift. And I was talking to the young people the other other night, and I was saying, what would you think if you had a parent uh, come in, it was your birthday, and they gave you what you wanted. Let's say it's an MP3 player, and you've been wanting that, and they give it to you, and you say, Oh, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Mama. They say, well, I'm glad. I hope you enjoy it. That'll be thirty-five ninety-five, please. You know, the mouth would drop open because they understand this is a gift. It's not something that requires payment. And something else that was in the same uh, newsletter that is a bit disheartening, it's under the news alert. It says that, The United States have 
the United States and 12 other Western democracies kept silent this week as Iran was nominated for membership of the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women. Can you imagine that? Thus enabling them to get that seat. In the four-year period beginning in 2011, Iran will help set UN policy on gender equality and the advancement of women. Isn't everything insane these days? Iran's unchangeable, excuse me, unchallengeable election at a meeting in New York Wednesday came just over a week after Iran media quoted a senior Islamic cleric in Tehran as saying that the immodest dress and behavior of women was to blame for the increase in earthquakes. That's a quote. U.S., Canada, Australia, and ten European countries raised no objection at the meeting electing Iran by acclamation. Iran, getting a seat on the Council for Women, they said was indicative of the way in which women's rights are continually sold down the river in exchange for political favors and horse trading on other issues in the United Nations. Well, that's the kind of insanity we see every day in our papers. There's one here, though, that that got my attention that I thought was uh, particularly alarming. Recently, a Pew Forum survey of more than 40,000 Americans found that 57% of those who said they are evangelicals believe that Jesus is not the exclusive way to heaven. Over half, 57% of those that claim that they are evangelicals, and that came from 40,000 people. So, such is the mess that we find ourselves, but we don't despair. We just keep to our knitting. We keep uh, going to God's Word and feeding our soul and spirit with truth. And let God God sort out all the rest. Do y'all need the TV on over there? Oh, it's on? Okay. All right. uh, Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Very importante chapter. Last time, I pointed out that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7, we have the focus is on abstaining from sexual immorality. And we went into that into some detail. Verse 6 especially is somewhat... I wouldn't say it's not deceptive. It's just a little harder to understand because verse 6 says, And that no man 
transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. Well, it was that part that says in the matter that got me thinking because I thought that the originally that the subject matter had changed in verse six in defrauding a brother. I thought they thought it was referring to some kind of a, a business in, engagement or some kind of business that someone was trying to take advantage of someone else. But when it says in the matter, it finally clicked that the matter that they were discussing is sexual immorality. And the word to defraud means to take advantage of. And a brother can be a generic term, meaning either male or female. And so this is an injunction against us. It's a directive telling us not to take advantage of a brother or sister in the matter means in a sexual way. And any time that you put pressure on anyone to do something that is sexually not allowed by God, according to the next verse, then you're going to reap the consequences. Because it's, well, it's in the same verse, verse 6, it says, Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. These things are talking about sexual impropriety. And... You, you engage in that at your own risk because it says, we also told you before and solemnly warned you. This is very serious business and I made the comparison as to today we have professing Christians, even church-going Christians, some leaders even in the churches are living together without being married. And this is, uh, we went to Hebrews, I think it was chapter, what chapter was it? Was it chapter 10? Chapter 3, where it says, uh, the marriage bed is undefiled and God is going to judge fornicators and adulterers. That's the verse. It's in Hebrews, but I don't remember exactly where it was. So that kind of brings us up to uh, speed. And as we were going through this part of the different types of sexual impropriety, we came upon a verse that said something about seeking eternal life. And that uh, is where I stopped and I, I was going to do this for a while. Because eternal life doesn't always uh, mean what most people think that it means. There's two meanings to eternal life. And so that's where we're going to begin tonight. If you have notes from Tuesday night, they're good up to a point, And then I just read them. I added a lot to them. But the first, the first few are pretty much the same. Eternal life, there are two types, two kinds, positional and experiential. The one that people are familiar with the most is what I'm entitling positional eternal life. It is not progressive and it is acquired by imputation from God the moment one believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with works. That's the main thing. You don't have anything to do with it. It has to do with God's faithfulness, not ours. And then we have the verses, John 3, 15, 16. John 3:36, John 5:24, John 6:40, 40, 47, Romans 6:23, 1 John 5:13 are few. 
Then we get into the experiential eternal life. And this is where it's, I saw some wrinkled brows, and I know that it's, this is somewhat uncomfortable. Because once you understand something, and you've, you've understood it for a long time, and then you get some verses, and you're saying, well, there's another dimension to this that you need to learn. Well, that's kind of like paddling upstream. It just doesn't go real well. But where it doesn't erase the scriptures that use the words eternal life, ion zoane, same exact words, but they're used in context in a different way. And I just put this label experiential eternal life as opposed to positional. It is progressive and grows as one's relationship with God gets stronger through prayer, study of his word, and production of divine good. Now, I have a quote from Joseph Dillo in Reign of the Servant King, Servant Kings, and he says this, It is extremely important to note that in every place where eternal life is presented as something which can be obtained by works, it is contextually always described as a future acquisition. It's future because you don't acquire it at the moment of salvation. And a lot of people, in fact, most believers, don't ever acquire it. They don't ever get to that point in their spiritual life. That's why it's always given in the future context. Conversely, whenever eternal life is described as something in the present, it is obtained by faith alone. So contextually, when you see the word eternal life, and you see that it's talking about a, a, a possession that you currently have, then it's always referring to positional eternal life, and it is in the present, meaning you already have it, because every believer acquires that type at the moment of salvation. Then we have verses, uh, Matthew 19:28, John 4:36, John 12:25, Romans 2:7. 6.22, Galatians 6.8, 1 Timothy 6.12, Titus 3.7, 1 John 3.15, and Jude 21. So we have those. That's a lot of verses, isn't it? That have it in the experiential sense. The experiential eternal life, and I just give it the designation eel, E-E-L, because I get tired of saying it. I keep tired of writing it. And over and over, it gets a bit redundant. The experiential can be viewed as receiving the abundant life Jesus promises in John 10.10. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, if you recognize that eternal life is something every believer has, it's something that they can't lose. God provided it through His grace. And it is, it is an, I guess you could say, an ingredient. It's something necessary in order to live with God forever in heaven. Obviously, if you're going to live forever, you have to have what? Eternal life. Someone was asking me the other day, well, doesn't, isn't uh, really eternal life only for God and we have everlasting life? And I said, well, technically that's true because eternal life means that God has always existed and He never was a time when He didn't exist. But for us, there was a point in time when we came into being. That's when God imputed our soul life to us. And in that point, we came into existence. And then from that point on, we will live forever, forever, for on and on. However, in the Greek, it, it expresses this by 
uh, ion zoe, which is just simply eternal life. So if you have eternal life and you don't do anything with it, what it means is that you're still qualified to go to heaven because you have the necessary type of life, which is eternal. But it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to build anything on it, that it's going to be anything more than something that you have. And it's really, you've heard me say before, you have eternal life. I don't want to say it in these words, but I have to come up with something to try to explain it. It's really not doing us that much good if you don't tap into the abundant life. In other words, you have it. Most believers have it. In fact, I would be curious how many believers have it and don't even know that they have it. They're still hoping and wishing that they make it to heaven. Well, they already have it. They don't even know that they have it. They certainly aren't going to build on it. They're not going to get into that abundant life that God wants for us. So what I want you to start thinking in your mindset is tying in this experiential type of eternal life in with the abundant life. And that abundant life only comes from the decisions that you make that is going to enrich your spiritual life. And that's things like praying. It's things like taking in doctrine consistently. It's being around other believers. It's being humble. It's being the, um, the whole nine yards. Point number three, 11 of the 42 occurrences of eternal life, that's 26% of the New Testament, are presented as something to be earned. Positional eternal life depends on God's faithfulness. That's the type you have at salvation. Experiential eternal life depends on our faithfulness. If you're not faithful as a believer, and there I don't know how many believers there are that fit this category, but there are a lot of them that go to a crusade somewhere, they hear the gospel, they're saved, but they never build on that. They, they go back and live just like they were before. They never get any doctrine. They never receive any spiritual training. They don't even know that they have eternal life. If they never build on it, if they are faithless, what I want you to make sure that you understand has zero to do with the fact that they still have eternal life, the type that is going to um, make them qualified to live with God because He's eternal and we have to be eternal. And He gives us, every believer, He gives eternal life. He imputes it to us. Uh, number four, all believers have this pell, position of eternal life, but only some have this experiential type, even though it's available to all. Every believer can have the experiential type. You know what you have when you have the experiential type? When you are faithful, when you are growing, you're going to get blessings beyond what the believer that just has the positional type of eternal life. What kind of grace do they receive? Logistical grace. They don't earn or deserve it, but they still get it. But one thing they're not going to get is the super grace blessings. They're not going to live the abundant life. They're going to remain confused, usually angry, upset, and very superficial. There's going to be a big hollow spot in, in, in their soul. And it's not going, they're not going to know why. It's because they have no relationship with God outside of the gospel. Number five, the riches of our spiritual life is dependent upon our spiritual obedience. 
See, everybody wants to make all believers the same. We're all God's children. There's a vast difference in the growth of believers. Some don't grow at all. Here's an illustration. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of it. What does it mean to take hold of it? Possessing eternal life in the positional sense is one thing, but taking hold of it in the experiential sense is quite another. Most believers never take hold of it, that is the experiential type, but that in no way endangers their position, their possession of the positional type. You got that? Don't ever get those mixed up. You have eternal life. If you never darken the door of another church, if you never open your Bible again, if you decide that you want to be a bank robber and you want to break Bonnie and Clyde's uh, record, then you're still going to have it. There's nothing that you can do to not have it. But you're not going to have the abundant life in this other type, which means you're going to miss out. Point number six. We'll get to this a little later, but I'm kind of introducing it here. According to 2 John, verse 8, says those who do not remain in the teaching of Christ do not have God. Does not, that does not mean that they lose their eternal salvation or that they never had it. This is what some people would say. It means the one who fails to learn and apply Christ's teaching is not walking in fellowship with God. The same idea is found for those who do not take hold of their eternal life. In other words, those who do not remain in the teaching of Christ, they don't have God. It's the same thing as those who don't take hold of eternal life. They don't lose their eternal life God imputed to them when they believed in Christ. No, it means that they fail to execute God's plan in their lives because of ignorance and or disobedience. Therefore, they forfeit the benefits of having experiential eternal life. What do you, what do you suppose is one of the benefits of having experiential eternal life? How about super grace blessings in six categories? How about that? How about not allowing your circumstances to dictate whether you're going to have a good day or not? How about having victory over fear and worry? How about being able to possess your vessel? What does that mean? Controlling your body. All of these things are some of the blessings that go along with this experiential eternal life. Which I'll turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 6, and I need some water. Can I get a volunteer? I've already drained this one. You, you, you had it fill the top, but I'm thirsty. Thank you. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. Now, I put in brackets here God because the previous verse puts that in context. I didn't want to quote the whole verse before there. So it starts out essentially in context, God who will render to every man according to his deeds. 
to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Isn't that, the, isn't that a shock for you? Thank you, sir. That in Romans chapter 2, it's talking about render to every man according to his deeds, and then right after that, perseverance and doing good and seeking. And the last word is what? Eternal life. Why would you have to seek something that you already have? Because what you have is a different type of eternal life. That's the point. If this was not different than what you get at salvation, we have a huge problem because we have works inserted into the gospel. And if that's the case, we have no gospel. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Won't you go to that one too and put a circle around these and you could put in the margin E-E-L, experiential eternal life. I don't know if you're going to remember that a month from now. Maybe you better spell it out. Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. That's what we had in Romans chapter 2, verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. That's the same as sowing what you reap. Now in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's the verse that got us started on this whole eternal life focus here. This is not the free gift imputed to believers at the moment of salvation, but it is experiential that is cultivated through faithfulness and acts of obedience. This is where we ended last time. That was just a quick review. Are you all ready to plow new ground? Can't get enough water. Okay, turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. I used to go to this verse, and I had a particular take on it, but I've changed my take. Just recently, and I'll explain what I'm talking about. First John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Who said that? Who, who, who said this, gave us this, this, the meaning behind this? Wasn't it Jesus? Didn't he say, if you hate your brother, you already are a murderer? If you look after a woman to lust after her, you've already committed fornication. So, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, that's the part that used to set me off. Because I thought, well, now wait a minute. Why wouldn't a murderer still have eternal life abiding in him Well, I'll just read this little part right after that lesson number, and it'll set this up. 
Is it possible for a person to commit murder and still be a believer? How many yeses do we have? Okay. Did Jesus Christ pay for every sin on the cross except murder? No. He paid for every sin, didn't he? He died for every sin, including murder, so a person can be a murderer and still go to heaven. But I've had people before, one of the most violent conversations I've ever had in, uh, in, over spiritual things was on this verse. Because I was at work, I was, happened to be a foreman on a construction job, and somebody had committed a multiple murder, and uh, before we went to work, we'd all gather in, the, in the, what we call the job shack. And we would talk a little bit about what was happening, what was going on in the news before we went out to work. And they were drinking coffee. And they were talking about this guy that had murdered three or four people. And somebody said, well, boy, that guy's sure going to go to hell. And I said, well, if he does, it's not going to be because he murdered those people. And you, you would have thought that I insulted their mother. Oh, the things came out. I was glad I was the superintendent. I was their boss. I think if I was one of their subordinates, they probably would have physically attacked me. What do you mean? I said, well, what do you mean? Why, why couldn't they go to heaven? Well, they're murderers. The Bible says that no murderer can go, to, can go to heaven. I said, no, it doesn't. I said, Jesus Christ paid for that sin. You show me somewhere where murder is excluded from the sins that Jesus Christ went to the cross for. And I was making sense, but I didn't make any difference to them. They were, they were literally angry with me. And so you can see why this particular verse is really important to me. This is the way I used to think because I thought that this was talking about positional eternal life, the kind that's imputed at salvation. Now, when you look at this, it says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. What is that? That's a attitude sin. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So technically, if you take this at face value, if you hate someone, then you don't have an eternal life abiding in you. And if it's the type that we're all familiar with, you better not hate somebody because you just you, either you are going to hell or else you were never saved to begin with. All these kind of things enter into it. So I thought I had it figured out. I thought, aha. When it says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. Well, that word, no murderer, actually in the Greek is, is a, a may, M-E, and pas, P-A-S, which means all, all-inclusive. And so it, I would translate it, and you know that not every murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You got that? Because you have, what you have is may, is the negative. And you have pos, which means everyone. And so if you're going to translate that in a more literal sense, you wouldn't say that no murderer. You would say not every murderer. See what I'm saying? And I was satisfied with that. I thought, well, I've got that one squared away. I'll move on to something else. And then I started getting into this, and I said, aha! That's not the key. The key is that this is not the type of eternal life that most people think of anyway. This is the experiential type. What is one of the keys? There's one word in there that gives it away. Anybody know what it is? Abiding. Abiding. 
Because we know that when we believe in Jesus Christ and we have eternal life, it's irrevocable, isn't it? We don't ever have to worry about it abiding in us because God did it. It's perfect. And there's not one place in the Bible anywhere, ever, that you see that the imputation of eternal life or the imputation of God's righteousness is ever revoked, ever. They're permanent. When God does it, it's a done deal. So, with that in mind, let's look at this. The verse above does not say that a murderer has no eternal life. It says no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There's a big difference right there. A believer who commits murder, either mentally or literally, is not in fellowship with God. Would you agree to that? And in that sense, he does not have eternal life abiding in him. Not having eternal life abiding in him is tantamount to being out of fellowship with God. It's tantamount to being either in carnality or into reversionism. It's just another way of saying it. The rich abundant life of fellowship with God, which is the experiential type, does not remain in a person who has disobeyed God. Now, we don't want to take this into silliness. If you bang your head on the door and you get angry and you get in the type of anger that's a sin, you might say something that's unkind to someone. You might even say it to the door. Some people say it to God. If you do that, it doesn't mean that, oh, well, you're, you just lost your experiential eternal life. I'm not saying that to that degree, but what I'm saying is that your lifestyle, you're, you, you are either going to have a lifestyle that is commiserate with the experiential eternal life, or you're going to have a lifestyle of carnality. And if you have a lifestyle that is commiserate with the experiential eternal life, then you are going to be growing in grace and knowledge. You are going to be obedient. You are going to be searching the Scriptures. You are going to be using the spiritual dynamics of the church age. You are going to be rebounding. You are going to be praying. You are going to be consistently taking in the Word. And if you are doing those things, then you have an eternal lifestyle. How about that? You like that one better? I started to just change the whole thing, not even say experiential eternal life. That's kind of hard. You just have an eternal lifestyle. You're living your life in the light of eternity. So it's an eternal lifestyle, and that's what these verses are talking about. Now, we're fixing to get into some... That's a good southern talk there. We're fixing to get into something. Some deeper things. Number nine. A believer may be living the experiential lifestyle, enjoying super grace blessings, get distracted from his or her doctrinal routine, and take a nosedive into reversionism. Everybody on board, you know that that's possible? Can that happen to you? Yes. Can it happen to me? Yes, it's a possibility. The positional eternal life that was received at salvation is never lost, but the blessings that go along with the experiential lifestyle are lost. The blessings are 
lost. This is the life described above when it says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, if you are a murderer, either literal or mental, you are not living the eternal lifestyle. You have gotten into worldliness. You've gotten, in, gotten into carnality. Now, this is, this is a, a, what I'm embarking on here, I did with a bit of trepidation. Because I've never even heard anybody teach this. They're probably smarter than I am. They just never would go there. But we're talking about, we're going to be talking about rewards and can you lose them and different ramifications in so doing. Yes. Not only the hyper-Calvinists, the Church of Christ, Catholics, all of them, anybody that are, that are into works, get off on this. You see, uh, we, remember when we, we spent a long time on Calvinism not that long ago. And here's the thing about a Calvinist that is so, the, the theology is so dastardly, because they talk about perseverance of the saints. And indeed, if you are a saint, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are going to persevere all the way to the time that you check into heaven because we are kept by the power of who? God. We're kept by His power. But the, and you know that that is so because the Bible says if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have what? Eternal life. Everlasting life. You have God's own righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Do we need to go there again? <laughs> so... These, this is a done deal, but what a Calvinist can't do that because they don't think that you have volition to make that decision. If anybody ever asks me, are you going to heaven? I'm saying, absolutely, and I doubt about it. Why? Because I believed in Jesus Christ, and the Bible says when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. But they don't think they have the volition to do that. God has to give them faith as a, some kind of gift. And so it all boils down to, Am I elect or not? Did God give me the gift or not? Well, I don't know. How can you tell? Well, what is your lifestyle like? Well, I've got a whole lot of good works. All right, well, you're in. He probably gave it to you. But then somewhere along the line, you do something that will embarrass hell, and then you start wondering about yourself. Do I really have it or not? You can't go to the Bible and say, well, I see you right here. It says, if I believe, I believe. So I'm in. No, you can't believe. God's got to give you that belief. So do you have it or not? Well, how do you know? Well, I'm going to check my lifestyle. What is that? Works. It's a work system. So you're right. All these verses are used by those in every religion that would say that you don't have eternal life if you're not seeking it. If you're, if you're not right up to snuff, then you don't have it. Okay. So we're talking about uh, can, you, can you lose this uh, blessing business? And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. I want you to go to these verses. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. coming quickly. That didn't mean that Jesus was going to come a week later after he ascended into heaven. It means that when he comes back, boom, it's going to be in a flash. 
I am coming quickly, and you're not going to know when it is. But when I come, it's going to be, bam, I'm there. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. Oh, hmm. What does that mean? Does that mean that you can be on the fast track of rewards? That you can be growing in grace and knowledge and be on, like I said, the fast track? You are in line to get rewards, but someone distracts you, something happens, and they do what? They take your crown. What it really means is you allow them to take your crown. What this shows is the potential that you can lose a reward. This is a warning. Don't let that happen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. You don't have to go there. You can look up here for the sake of time. I want to get through more of this because I'm running out of time and I want to get to a certain point. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of what? Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What does that talk about? Endurance. Colossians 2.18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. What's the prize? The prize is the rewards, crowns, decorations, opportunities, privileges, all the whole, the whole works. Now, here's 2 John, verse 1. Well, there's only one chapter. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 that we saw earlier that I said we would get into in a little more detail. It says, watch yourselves that you might not lose. This is the aorist subjunctive. That means it's a, a potential that you can do this. That you might not lose what we have accomplished. In other words, you've been growing, you've been accruing uh, the necessary requisite, the divine good and the knowledge and so forth that you need in order to be rewarded and decorated at the judgment seat of Christ. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished. Notice what we have accomplished. But that you may receive, again, error subjunctive. This is only a potential. And this is, look at this, a full reward. Now, that word full there is very interesting because that suggests that you can lose something and maybe be rewarded, but it's not going to be a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, and the one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. In First John, Second John, all these when it says you, they don't have the Father. I mean, they don't have a, you don't. They do not have God if they're not abiding in the teaching of Christ. It means they don't have the fellowship with Christ. That's the meaning there. The whole thing in these verses are all experiential. It's not about positional. And when it says the one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, it means they have fellowship with both the Father and the Son. Now, that's pretty interesting, that verse. was. Now, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 and 12, 9 through 12. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. What are the things that accompany salvation? Because a lot of... See, most people don't know that there's anything that accompanies salvation. I just want to get to heaven, that's all. The things that accompany salvation 
are the rewards, the crowns, the decorations, the pride, the whole nine yards. That's what he's talking about. But we are speaking in this way, for God is not unjust so as to forget the work and the love. Now, see, that ties in the verse we just saw that he said about full reward. Now we're saying, seeing in this verse that God is not remiss, unjust, as to forget the work and the love that you've done, which you have shown towards his name, his name and having ministered and is still ministering to all the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. What does it mean, to the end of what? To the end of the day? The end of your life. That you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You still see patience and inheritance, the promise. The promises are all the rewards and decorations and so forth. Now, here's, here's, I'm, I'm coming to a couple of conclusions here. Here's one of them. These verses seem to support the idea that if a person falls away, he will still receive rewards for the divine good that he had previously done through the Holy Spirit. That's what it seems to suggest. Because it's talking about if you fall off the wagon, so to speak, you're not going to get the full reward. And God is not forgetful. He's not unjust to forget about the works and the love that you've shown to others. That's what the context was. Now we're going to see a couple others, though. We're going to see the other side of the coin. One is James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And a, an accompanying verse to this, Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I told you this is the other side of the coin. So here's the synopsis here. This verse is clear that one must endure in faithfulness to the end of his or her life in order to be qualified to receive the crown of life. You got that? There's no doubt about those verses. It may be that some rewards require faithfulness to the end, while some other rewards are still available even if one does not endure to the end. That's the conclusion that I'm coming up with after looking at these two set of verses. One is talking about that God doesn't forget your work and that if you fall off, you're, you're, you won't be rewarded in full. And then we have these that says, be faithful to the end and I will give you the crown of life. And be faithful until death. So that's one possible um, conclusion. It should be noted that believers who have reached spiritual maturity already receive super grace blessings in time. It is their super grace blessings in eternity that will be lost if they do not endure in faithfulness to the end of their lives. You got that part? In other words, if you are growing in grace, you are a spiritual adult, you know the sophisticated doctrines of the church age called the mystery doctrines, you know the spiritual dynamics and you're using these things. If that's the case, God is already giving you Super grace blessings in time. You're, you're reaping them right now. That can't be taken away from you because it's already happened. You got that? But there is no guarantee for anyone that you, none of us can coast. And right now we're in the intensified stage, it appears, of God's plan. Because everything is really heating up. 
And you can't afford to coast, so you have to continue to keep that spiritual momentum going forward. You have to continue to take hold of eternal life. That's the, the verbiage that it's giving us. But if you get distracted, and if you, if you peel off, what you're going to lose for sure are the eternal, surpassing grace blessings in eternity. And I want to tell you something. The super grace blessings in, on, in time are just that. They are super. But they pale to insignificant when compared to the surpassing grace blessings in eternity. So if you don't endure until the end of your life, you may have already accrued a certain amount of blessings, even in six court categories, super grace blessings in time, but what you're going to forfeit is much greater. That's the thing that people don't understand. You, thought, you talked about surpassing grace blessings in eternity, and I get nauseated every time I hear some person say, well, I hope that I'm going to heaven. I, I have to confess, I want to hit them. I just want to punch them right in the nose for being that stupid. I shouldn't be saying that from the pulpit, I guess. I can't erase it now. It's an insult. It really is. You see, probably 99% of the people outside of our you know, Christian sphere here in this church that you come in contact with, they don't have a clue why they're here. They don't know about this eternal lifestyle that is so superior to anything that the world has to offer. Most churches you go into, you can be there in five minutes and you can already sniff it out. They don't know anything about spirituality. They're all into morality. All the, the churches that have the, the christenings and the confirmation and all that, I was privy to see a confirmation test one time. Read the whole thing. Four or five pages, all these questions. Every single question on it was about morality. There was not one question about spirituality. Because they don't know anything about it. But they're responsible because it is being taught in places. There are teachers out there that are going to enable you to understand and to apply the spudazzo that it takes in order to grab hold of that eternal life. That eternal lifestyle. That's what God wants from us. That's what the whole New Testament is about. I say all of it. There's a, a portion, a small portion, about how to get saved. But all the epistles are written to believers. They're already saved. It's saying you've got to get with it. I was going to ask you all the first thing I got here tonight, and I forgot to do it, so I'm going to ask you now. Have you all been sagacious this week? Huh? <laughs> Remember what sagacious is? Mentally alert. And I'm talking about in a spiritual way. We are so fortunate and we have such a great God that has planned this whole thing for us. And the, and the, the writers of the New Testament, it's screaming forth, take hold of eternal life, that eternal lifestyle. And it can be lost. I didn't think this would go over too well for some people because there are some who think, well, 
I've got to this certain level. I'm on the ninth floor of the divine domain. <laughs> I'm on the tenth floor. I've got plus H. Well, la-di-da. One thing you can't forget is the sin shoot. You can be in that cosmic compound faster than you can blink. And once you're there, you can, get a, you can have a big pity party, and you can get angry, and you can get uh, bitter. All these things can happen. The next thing you know, God isn't going to continue to reward you when you are offending Him, when you're disobedient. And all these things about growing grace and knowledge, these are commands, not suggestions. And I'm preaching to the choir. I know. Y'all are all here. You get it. But this is a dimension that I have not seen before. I hope you understand it. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm going to do my best to explain it the way that I see it. It is not the same as the eternal life that you get imputed to you when you believe in Jesus Christ. That's a done deal. It never changes. That cannot change. But the other kind can. It can it can go off. If you, you have eternal life, but if you never build on it, if you're not living a lifestyle of spirituality in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, thinking divine viewpoint, if none of those things are going on, you're going to lose out. I remember the, the colonel used to uh, talk about how when you get to heaven, you, you may be able to see the... All these super grace blessings and surpassing grace blessings that were put in escrow for you that you'll never get. Because you were a dumb butt. Oh, well, you know, I have my agenda. I have my schedule. And I can't be devoting too much time to these spiritual things after all. Life is short. Now, that's, that's real smart, isn't it? Life is short, so I don't have time for the spiritual. Oh, the only thing is the spiritual is going to determine what your whole eternity is going to be like, but most people aren't concerned about that. One thing that always puzzled me when he said that, and I believe him, I believe, see, God, is he owns everything. He has everything. It's unlimited. So it's not that he can't afford to put everything that would, would be the abundant life, not only here in time, but also in eternity. He has it already. He's probably got it in a, in a heavenly storage bin. What are these things you go over here and all of them, they, uh, you put your things in, storage Storage units. He's got a storage unit with your name on it. And I thought, okay, if he has that, and I don't get it, and he takes me up there and says, see here, this is what you could have had. You could have had all this. And I'm thinking, hmm, well, you know, if, if you have that kind of regret, if you're angry, if you're self-pity, any of that is a sin. You're not going to sin in heaven. I don't know how it works that he says, you could have this. And you say, okay, well, that's fine. Let's, uh, what are we having for lunch? No, it, you know, it, it would get to you, wouldn't it? It would me. I could have this. Y'all, get, y'all understand what I'm presenting to you? I don't understand all of heaven because I guarantee you I would go out of my gourd right there. I would throw a fit. I know I won't have an old sin nature. <laughs> that in itself is pretty wild, isn't it? <laughs> no old sin nature. Uh, well, I don't know. But I don't think it's going to last past whatever, how long the judgment seat of Christ is. But there will be a great embarrassment and shame for those. When you stand before Jesus Christ and He lays it out for you. I, don't, I think it's going to be like in Job. Remember, he, kept, he started asking Job all these questions. 
before it was over with, Job was going like this. I don't know, Lord. I don't know. This. I'm an idiot. <clears throat> this is what Job was saying. And all God was doing was asking him questions. Well, that's what we're going to be. When he, when he lays it out, this is what I've done for you. This was your opportunity. This was your potential. And this is what you did. What do you have to say for yourself? We're just um, like this. But we still have some time. Isn't that the good news? That's the great news. And the grace is still there, still available. And if you get it in your mind, if you wrap your head around these things, then you understand what life is all about, and it's very exciting. Because for the believer who is trusting in the Lord consistently and growing, it's exciting already. I love... One thing I love about prayer is I I get to see Him answer the prayers. I I haven't counted up how many prayers He answered this week already. That's fantastic. And these people that, even when they do pray, now lay me down to sleep and pray to the Lord and so all this type of thing. Or they go in reading out a song book. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes, Lord. We, yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. Yes, Lord. You know, that type of thing. What is that rote? I guess I'd just better end. I better bring this to an end. We are, let me tell you, folks, we are so fortunate. Because God has it in His Word. And when you start understanding what this life is really about, it's exciting. It is vibrant. You get that hope. You get that confidence built up. And it changes the way you think. And it changes your decisions. That's how powerful this is. And I would hate to go to some type of liturgical, going down the procession and the candles and the... Oh, mercy. I just, I just, just take me to prison. I'd rather go to prison than one of those liturgical things. Just lock me up with the rats and the roaches. I'd be much happier. Oh, I said I was going to end, didn't I? Okay. Let's close for real. Father, thank you for this time that we have to focus on your great love for us and your unlimited grace that you would proffer to us such wonderful things. And then reveal to us the importance of it and warn us that we have to keep on ginning. Anyone that would ask, well, what can, I, what can I do and still get by with it without it being taken away? It's the wrong question. The right question is, how can we be so stupid not to see it? We thank you for your grace that moves us along every single tick of the clock. We thank you that we are here and we still have time. We pray that you will continue to pour that grace into us from your mighty word and change us. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.